Forgotten Homeland by Joe Talon. Chapter 3 Screaming noise, the wind screeching, the undulation reminiscent of the grief I'd witnessed in the stan, women in the full-veiled hijab tearing at the sky in their pain, us standing around and full MTPs with assault rifles across our chests, hands resting on our weapons, body armour making us bulky and solid against the flimsy bulk of the women's clothing. I stepped into the storm and the deluge hit me full in the face, blinking against the rain, switching on the torch only to realise the beam wouldn't light a cubic metre of space. I struggled through the garden to the farmyard. Long since concreted because of its steep entrance, the rain sloshed down towards the lane. I hoped they'd cleaned the damned storm drains further down, or the houses and fields at the bottom of the coombe would flood. The water in the yard poured over the tops of my protected feet and rose around my ankles. I could barely see five metres ahead of me. Not even in the rainforests of Colombia had I experienced rain this powerful. The wind screeched again and pushed me sideways into Dad's old truck. Damn it all to hell, I spluttered, before releasing him to the moor when Lamb and you were healthy, stone-built and older than the house by a few centuries. Chickens would also be here sometimes, and the smaller, more expensive farm machinery like the old quad bike. The farm dogs had lived out here and had been a child. The farm hadn't had a dog since Mum died. I pulled on the door. Nothing moved beyond the wind buffeting the wooden surface. The lock hadn't been damaged, and the windows were still covered by their wooden shutters. I stumbled around the entire building. Bang, bang, crack, crack, rat-a-tat-tat. My head turned, senses and I alert. Scream! The wind cried out in shock. The sound didn't come from the farm. I turned again in confusion. The black of the night thickened around me, making breathing hard work despite the cold air. The sounds came from the damned church. That didn't make sense. I'd never heard the church door before. It was always carefully locked up. Mum had a spare key just in case, but other than letting in the odd visitor, we didn't have anything to do with the church itself. The sheep helped keep the grass down, and I'd been forced to mow it as punishment for some childish transgression or another. But we weren't regular churchgoers. Not that the church was used all that regularly. The parish was too small. The undulating, almost female scream rose once again, and I shivered. The damn wind would haunt me more than the bloody dreams at this rate. I left the barn and trudged back to the garden. I walked over the soggy lawn, sinking into the softened clay soil and grabbed the stone wall separating our lawn from the graveyard. Waiting for a lull in the wind's pressure on my chest and head, I grabbed the moment when it came and jumped over the wall. My eyes were attuned to the darkness by now, and I saw the graves rising from the earth, clothed in winter grass and lichen. In fact, the amount of ambient light around me didn't make sense. With the dense cloud cover overhead, I shouldn't be able to see this easily, but being cold, wet and stressed meant I had little tolerance for thinking through the oddity. The graves weren't in nice, neat rows. They were haphazard. Most were crooked because of the soft soil in these parts, and some were weathered, broken-toothed creatures. The church dated back to the 13th century, possibly beyond, though most of what stood before me came from the great taming of the moor, during the Victorian era. A grey block of a building, no romantic soaring windows or tower here, small, neat, practical, and able to survive any storm coming off the sea or the moor. Crack, crack, crack. I stomped up the narrow path, my skin colder and wetter than I'd ever remembered being in the army. The wind tore at me, wanting me gone from the moor. I bellowed back my fury at having to be here, having to return a broken, sad, lonely man. No family, no friends to speak of. Nothing left for me but a mountain of problems. Crack! Scream! 
I reached the tiny porch. The thick, dark oak door with its huge iron-black nails through the wood stood closed. Shuck rendered me still and mute for long seconds. The wind ripped past the entrance to the porch, but didn't reach me inside. I heard the rain battering the roof, but nothing leaked into the vestibule. The flagstone floor looked dry under my Wellington boots. Not even the notices on the churchboard fluttered. The noise had come from this building. I knew that, and I trusted my senses. Not even my PTSD could take that from me, right? My fingers twitched as if searching for a trigger. The weight of my assault rifle. The reassurance. Every damn man in my squad trusted my senses. Had saved our lives more times than I could count by just knowing what lay on the other side of a door or a wall or a wadi. Except that last time, I'd known something lay ahead, but we had no choice. We had to take the tunnel and make a run through the desert to the RV point for an exfil with the U.S. Marines. I lifted that trapdoor first, ordering my men back, knowing we'd meet trouble, and praying that this time I was wrong. I put my hand on the thick iron latch to the church door, the cold bit sharp into my skin. I breathed out through my mouth, and the air turned white. The night might be foul, but it wasn't frost cold, snow cold, ice cold. I feared my skin would remain on the door if I tried to move my hand. I'd seen it happen in the Arctic. Stop buggering about, Turner, bloody foolish man. I flicked the latch up, not sure if I wanted it to be locked or open. The door opened, smooth as silk and silent as a spider's web. The interior of the church drew back into black. It didn't press out towards me, it retreated. A faint scent of wood polish, damp stone and fusty air leaked over me, but with reluctance. My hands dropped from the door. I did not want to step down into the tiny church. There would be no light switch. It had never been electrified. A storm raged outside, but the inside remained silent, still, a refuge against the fury. With no one behind me to give me orders, or to make me feel like I had to be the first one over the threshold, I didn't move. Hello? I called out. My words vanished into the dark and did not come back at me. Anyone there need help? If I stepped into the church, I had the feeling I might not step back out the same man. Possibly a good thing, possibly not. No sound. The last crack I heard must have been the door shutting itself, surely, right? Scream! Fuck! Bang! 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 I scrambled backwards, hit my heel on the shallow step from the path to the porch, and landed on my ass in the rain. The wind screeched overhead, and the door to the church slammed shut. The final bang reverberated in the oak and iron. My heart pounded. My breathing sounded like a panting dog. I trembled for more than the cold. Shit! Eyes wide, I swallowed hard and stared at the door, the rain cascading over my naked scalp, face and through my coat. The banging hadn't come from the door. The banging had come from inside the church, the end where the oldest part lay, the short square tower. I'd heard the scream, a woman's scream, and it came from the tower. Fuck this, I muttered, pushing myself off the ground. I drew a ricky around the building just to make sure nothing, nobody, needed help. Then I was going home and locking the damned doors. Morning. A listless affair, as if the moor had a hangover. I certainly did. Ray rang me first thing. Law, another tree down across the lane. Can you come and give us a hand? I grunted assent, the real world crashing into the... What? What exactly had happened last night? A strung-out old soldier feeling and hearing things in the middle of a storm. Hardly difficult to decode. Now I was home, my mind had finally started to relax into its broken metaphors of chaos. Would I survive the coming breakdown, and how bad would it be? 
They pushed the thoughts away, refused to palm the bottle of pills. They wouldn't help Ray, and I owed him. They dressed for a day, working outdoors. Combats, boots, layers of warm shirts and jumpers. The old army jacket I'd filched at some point, along with most of the rest of my clothing. With a face like mine, you didn't tend to worry about making a fashion statement beyond practical. Holding the chainsaw and some rope into the old Nissan warrior, I drove down the lane and soon found the blockage. Ray and two others were there. Morning, Lorne. Christ, boy, you look like shit. Ray's good cheer eased my restless mind. Two other men stood with him, examining the problem we were to tackle. The tree had once been a huge ash in the hedgerow, been there all my life, and probably longer than the damned house. This here is Malcolm and his friend Doug, Ray introduced the strangers. Two men who might be older than the tree, but a good deal tougher, nodded at me with the usual gruff, right, from under their caps. All four of us stared at the old tree for a while. Bloody ass die back, I reckon, said one of the strangers. Could have been Malcolm. I hadn't been paying enough attention. Is it a tree you weren't looking well last summer? I know, Ray said, face mournful. I just hoped I wouldn't have to take him down. We've lost so many these past few years. I had no idea what they were talking about, but I didn't think admitting it would be wise. You lived at Elliot's, lad, the other man asked. He looked at me through one eye. The other closed against the smoke, rising from a roll-up hanging from his mouth. Yep. Most people here still thought of my mum as the one in charge of the farm. Elliot being her maiden name, the family farm had belonged to Elliot's for generations. My dad came from Wales, so he was the incomer. You were the essayist, that right? he asked. My body tensed and my eyes sharpened. I felt it happen, a switch in my head, ready for a problem. Ray chuckled. Your old man was proud of you, son. He told everyone, I'm afraid. There won't be many of us three near an axe day who don't know what you used to do. I sighed. Just as well I never told him what I did out there in the world. Didn't stop the silly bugger for speculating, said Doug, pronouncing speculating in all its splendour, each syllable a work of rural art. I was pretty sure he was Doug. If we flow up in the world, he say, my boy will be there dealing with that. Give him what for, he will. Course, he never knew if it was you or not, but he was a good man, your dad, and we all loved you, ma. So you lost him, son. I blinked back the sudden grief, caught by surprise. Yeah, me too. Probably had better luck than the police to finding that missing girl, Malcolm said. He teach you all that in the army, right? The Sag caught me off guard. Missing girl, I asked. Malcolm replied as if they were a tag team. Missing last from Linton. They think she might have come up on the mall with her horse and got stuck or fell off or something. I found a horse, not a girl. That's not good. Not after the storm last night. Well, not much the likes of us can do. She can't have come this far, not from Linton. The screaming the night before rose from the dark recesses of my mind, and I shivered. Picking up on my sudden discomfort, Ray stopped the talking and set us to disassembling the tree. The work was loud, dirty, and more than a little sad because no one liked chainsawing trees because of disease but it was great therapy. By the time we'd finished loading logs onto a trailer, every muscle in my body whimpered in mercy, but my head was clear for the first time in weeks. Some storm last night, Ray said, grasping me on the shoulder. You all right up there? I nodded, examining the new blisters on my soldier's palms. Nothing like farming to teach a man a little humility. Yeah, had a strange one with the church mind. Ray's eyes turned wary, and the other men grew still. Doug said, What kind of strange? Leave it, man. Malcolm smacked his arm. I likes to know things, Mal. Not be such an old woman. There's just things on this marsh to be left alone. You're just an old biddy. More like hinging back at the pair of you, Ray said, referencing some old comedy program I barely remembered. He turned to me. 
These two been a couple since before you were born, son. The pair of them laughed at the expression on my face. Mal said, Wasn't your generation that invented sex, boy? He winked at me. Doug poked him. You all knows how you feels about soldiers, you old perv. I no, sir. Always fall back with dignity if you can manage it. Why, you tart, time to get all to dinner, Doug said to Malcolm. Ray took out a wad of cash and peeled off some twenty-pound notes. Thanks for the help today. I owe you a point next time we're in the ship. I'll be mighty good of you, Ray. Mal's eyes met mine. You be careful of that old church, son. It's been a bit wild since your mother passed. Bugger, just leave the lad if you can let me find out what's been happening. Doug had already walked towards the old transit van, full of ash wood. Malcolm grumbled, but followed. They waved as they left. Labourers on the boats and farms, some of the best warriors I've ever had. Used to work for your old man as well sometimes, though I doubt you ever met them, back when you were a nipper. They'd have been on the fishing boats more than on the land. Not much call for fishing at Porlock Way these days. What do they mean about the church? I asked, watching them vanish around a corner in the narrow lane. You don't want to listen to them, to be fair. I don't know how much. Not the kind of thing we talk about round here. Ray's accent had thickened by being around Malcolm and Doug. I remembered how much the lads had taken a piss out of me when I'd first signed up for basic with my thick Somerset drawl. I learned fast to drop it and sound neutral. What do you know? I asked. Rick will know more, but it's said a woman can come down off the moor one night during a storm and was found dead under the tower the following morning. Usual kind of silliness that gets talked about. I don't have no space in my head for the supernatural. I had the feeling he didn't want to say more, so I let it go. Deciding I needed to forget the night before and start afresh, I had the debt under control for the moment, and that was the important thing, that and the logs in the back of the truck. Ray offered to feed and pay me. I turned both down and returned home. When I arrived, I unloaded the logs into the barn in the last of the dying day. After all the physical torture, I straightened up, stretching a back that hated me almost as much as it did when running up Pen E. Fan in full kit. I looked out over the hills towards the sea. I couldn't see it from here, but I could see another storm coming over from Wales, and the temperature would drop again tonight. Thinking I should head off another bad night, because I needed peace, not a battle with the elements, I headed back over the wall to the church. I walked around it, checked the door and windows, took the number of the team vicar, whatever that was, and left the site. After warming up some shop-bought pasties and opening a tin of beans, I needed to learn to cook. I rang the vicar with a beer in my hand, my back to the bottle of pills. Larkham Vicarage, Thomas Hearn speaking. I uh, my name is Lon Turner, I live next door. Stoke Perro, yes hello Mr. Turner. A well-educated, rounded voice of a man, reassuring in its jollity. Not a problem with the church after the storm, is there? Who has it been broken into? I do hope not. No, the church is fine, well thought of. Oh dear, my more rural parishes do suffer from neglect somewhat. Do you need me up there tonight? He made this sound like a hardship, worthy of a saint rather than a vicar. No, I don't think so, but the church was open last night, and there's no way for me to secure it without damaging the stonework. Goodness, don't do that, it's grade two listed. It's winter, though, so I can't imagine any Herberts getting there and doing any harm, though it is odd. I remember locking it. I always make sure on the churches I'm in only once a month or so. The door is shut now, though. Yes, firmly. Why, well, sorry to have been a nuisance. I know your father, God rest him, used to worry about the place, and your mum would help out sometimes. This came as news to me. But I don't think we've met. No. Well, I'll pop over tomorrow and introduce myself. Though I don't suppose I'll be here much longer. Retirement looms, I'm afraid. Right. So until tomorrow, Mr. Turner. He hung up. I stared at my phone.
novel-length Lorne Turner supernatural mystery thrillers by Joe Tallon. Available on Audible.